Today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners, who for more than 25 years have successfully delivered interim and permanent leadership talent to transform businesses. To hire the talent you need to enable your business to thrive, visit www.progressotalent.com today. Andrew Radcliffe is the co-founder of software engineering company Spirosoft. Founded to bring together software development enthusiasts, in just five years the business has grown to employ more than 600 people in five countries and according to the Financial Times is the fifth fastest growing company in Europe. So what is the story behind the story? Without further ado, let's get into it. Andrew Radcliffe, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Lee. Welcome to the Astrology Podcast. As always, really appreciative for the opportunity to engage in this discussion with you and have you on as my guest. So, uh, thank you. So very much appreciated. And uh, and before we dive into uh, to the wonderful story that is uh, that is Spirosoft and all that that would entail, I'm keen, as is customary with the Astrology uh, Podcast, to start with the uh, the early years. So, so tell us. First and foremost, Andrew, where did you grow up, and and what was uh, what was childhood and school life like for you? Oh, great! It's great to be here, Lee. Thanks very much. And yeah, I had a an interesting childhood because uh, I actually uh, lived in the United States for three or four years when when I was younger. And um, my father had a job in New York City. Um, we lived in uh, Northeast New Jersey. I went to school there for three four years played lots of American sports. Um, and really, my my youth, I think, was probably divided between, you know, being British and being American. And uh, I, I remember moving back and came back with a slight American accent, which everybody thought was hilarious. But, you know, I was an amazing basketball player. So that's something that did come uh, come come good out of that time in America. It was it still have some friends there today, some connections uh, that I'm still really in touch with. And that's 40 odd years later. So um, yeah, interesting childhood. Were you born in the UK and therefore what age were you when you uh, when you moved to the States? Yeah, I was. I was born I was born in England. I moved there when I was 10, came back when I was nearly 14. Yeah, I I I didn't really have a choice at that age. My father, no. his job was transferred and we we just sort of took it as an opportunity to go and try something new and a bit of a, a new adventure and um, new culture. And I think, you know, looking back on it, we had a great time, but also we missed, you know, the benefits of, of living in England. And uh, it, the American dream is there for a lot of people. And uh, we did enjoy that time. But uh, it's, it's a different way of growing up. And school in America is very different than school in the UK. What do you think? Because inevitably that's at a, at quite a formative stage in your development is it as a as, a, as you progress mm. from childhood into adolescence what, what do you think you the, the phrase that springs to mind is gained but what do you think you gained from the experience yeah I, I think one of the things really it taught me from from very young age really was a bit about self-sufficiency because you know as a 10 year old you're going into a completely different school different culture. Yes, they speak English, but but of course there's differences. You know, it taught me to really adapt and explore uh, new friendships, new ways of doing things and be open to different ways of doing things. 
so yeah, I, I, I met new people. I got stuck into different sports. I, I tried to embed myself, uh, into that, that time and, and, and that environment. And, um, yeah, it did teach me, I think, to, to open my mind to, uh, new opportunities. And, and I guess if you therefore look at those childhood heroes, might the posters on the bedroom wall looked a little different as, uh, absolutely. I still love basketball today. Um, at the time, it would have been baseball players. It would have been um, Larry Bird, you know, Boston Celtics back in the 80s. A lot of American football players. Um, and I shouldn't call it soccer, but I used to play lots of soccer when I was there. And, you know, being English, everybody thought I was amazing at, at it. And, um, you know, truth be told, I wasn't. I was just, I was always quite big for my age. And uh, I just made a great central defender because I was a lot bigger than some of the other people. Um but yeah, lots of sport, lots of new sports to play. And, and New York Giants, was, I have great memories of, um, actually, I was in the lift in a hotel when we first arrived in, in New Jersey. The, the bank put us up in a hotel. And I can remember getting into this uh, lift with some of the New York Giants um, football players, as it turned out. I didn't know at the time. And I walked into this lift uh, surrounded by these enormous men, and they didn't really... Uh, know who I was. I didn't know who they were, and they probably had a bit of a bit of a dent to their ego because there was this young kid here that didn't know who they were. So um, yeah, it's good memories. Good memories. So at what uh, at what age do you first recall developing an interest in technology? So I came back from the states at about thirteen, fourteen years of age, and uh, that was really at the time when the BBCB and the Amstrad CPC 464 computers really started to come into existence. And, uh, and I remember my father at the time came home one day having been to Dixon's or, or, or a shop like that. And, and he had this Amstrad computer and, and we just started playing with it really. And it just captivated me. And, uh, I remember buying some of the magazines and looking at the code in the magazines and, and learning how to program. And that was really my start. I I would spend hours, literally, just typing out these programs from the magazine, copying them, learning the different structures and the statements and trying to put real basic sort of games together. Uh, and I, I spent a couple of years doing that, taught myself how to program in, in basic at the time. And then I had an opportunity to, to study O-level uh, computer studies. And that's really where it took off because it, it became more of a serious subject for me and opened my mind to, to technology and, and what could be. I did my project, my O-level project. I wrote, a, I think it was a spreadsheet um, program, a budgeting, financial budgeting spreadsheet program. That was my project for O-level. And I can remember having the old fanfold printed paper dot matrix laid out in my in my father my mother and father's lounge uh, i think there were about 20 sheets of fanfold paper connected one side of the room to the other you know and that was and that was my project so yeah i passed it i did did all right in it and uh, just had that interest really from day one it was this mystical device and why you mentioned it captivated i think was the phrase that you used what was it about if you go back to that amstrad what was it about the technology and the possibility, I guess. What was it that captivated you, do you think? I, th I think for me, it was the challenge of being able to effectively command a machine to do something for you. And there's an intellectual element to that. There was a, a learning element. I've always enjoyed learning. 
And, and that probably comes back to my experiences in America, you know, being open-minded, looking at, at what's in front of you and trying to understand it and make the best use of it. And uh, when we had this Amstrad computer, I, I had this opportunity now to program and tell the machine to do things. And that might be something as silly as bouncing a ball from one side of the screen to the other, or or it might be a you know, drawer. I can remember writing a program to, to draw an outline of uh, the British Isles. So, you know, you had to plot each pixel and um, you tell it to connect one pixel to another through a line. And in the end, you have a, a, an outline of the map of, of our country. And just, just that achieving something like that for me was kind of magical. What, what do you think you learned from that experience, that early experience? I think logic, you know, it, it ultimately it comes down to a one or a zero. You know, you have to make a decision. So my my sort of throughout my life, really, I've always been a decision maker. I've never had trouble making a decision. If If I make a wrong decision, I'll change it and make another decision to correct it. And when you're writing code, when you're writing software, you have to make decisions all the time based on logic and reasoning. And I think that that sort of early exploration of, of software development then really hammered that one home for me. So yeah, solving problems, using your understanding about what you want to achieve and then making decisions to make it happen, turning that into code and instructions in the software enables it to, to, to come to fruition. And had you a sort of a natural affinity towards mathematics and subjects of that? Often, often we, we read much about the, the correlation between the application of maths and technology and how that's enabled many to evolve. Was that a nat- sort of natural uh, Not, not really, interestingly. I mean, I, I've always been okay um, at maths. I've, I've, I would never say I'm an expert at all in, in anything. However, you know, I clearly... I must have a, an element of logic and, and mathematics about the way my brain is wired. But but I would say it's sort of a balance, really. I was, if anything, at school in the early days, I was probably better, actually, at, at English and English language and English literature. But yeah, I've always got a grade C, no matter which sort of level of mathematics I've studied, it always came out as grade C, which which is quite strange, really. <laughs> So what was it that prompted you to pursue a career in technology? It was just that passion, just playing around with the the machine, trying to make it do things and and just seeing where I could take it. At at the time I was back in England, I'd done my O-level. I was just moving through to what what happens next. And it was a difficult time to get a start in in a job in computing. You know, you really needed a degree. You know, if you didn't have a degree, you would... If you were really lucky, you would be a computer operator. And that at the time was people that would change tapes on the on the old um, mainframe computers or replace printer paper, that type of thing. It's quite a different sort of job. And I realized, you know, to get a degree, you know, you really needed to get a good degree from a good university. So so I, I managed to get some work experience. Uh, it was called uh, play, a company called Plessy at the time. Back in the day, people might remember the name Plessy. They had a great apprenticeship program. It was probably one of the best apprenticeship programs that you could get on in, in the late 80s. And I was fortunate enough um, to have be introduced to get an opportunity for a little summer job, like a work experience placement, for only for a few weeks. And I went there and, I and again, I gave everything my best shot. I, I changed the tapes. I changed the printer paper. I had a chat with some of the, the programmers. 
and I was entranced. I mean, I, I remember chatting to one one developer. He was writing an adventure game, you know, text based role playing adventure game in his lunchtime on this mainframe computer, and uh, just chatting with them and, and absorbing what what they were doing. And I knew that was for me, but I didn't have the degree, so it was about well, how do I make that leap? And when I Having worked at Plessy in that work experience placement, I, I learned that actually they do these apprenticeships. And uh, I put my name forward for that. I did some horrendous aptitude tests all day long. I mean, it was, a, it was well, what a process that was. But yeah, I passed them. And would you believe I was given an offer to, to start a, a five-year apprenticeship program with them? They took three people out of several hundred people that applied, and I, I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. And I and I spent then the next four years plus another another year going through every department in the company, learning and getting a taster of how that that works in that department. What is it about? How do you do that job? And then moving to the next one, and then several years later, I'd work my way through the company. And at night school, I, I went and did night school to build my qualifications from O levels and turned it into a BTEC HND in computer studies. Five years later, I had that BTEC HND and I was given my first chance as a software engineer. And that was my first full time role. I mean, it's, a, it's really interesting. I think it's a, I'm a huge advocate of, of apprenticeships generally. And I think that that's a great mm. example of the breadth of, of exposure that that would have afforded you and respectfully a relatively early stage in life, certainly to understand that whether the direction of travel was you know, purchasing or finance or, you know, HR or whatever, whatever discipline you could pick. Is that a fair assumption? It was really that breadth that you got to see every department across function across the organization. That's exactly it. You get to really understand what happens in maybe in the factory, you know, on the assembly line, you get to work in the stores, you get to work in, um, it, at the time it was, you know, software, the software design department, you get to work in software development, testing, uh, you get to work in quality assurance. So you get placements, if you like, in all these different areas. And at the end of the process, you have this amazing view across the whole company and what that company does and can and how it works and you're still only what 22 23 years old so yeah you come out with sort of five years of experience under your belt at the same time a university graduate would have come out with just just a degree with no experience so you, i think you know it's a different way of doing it but you you come out as a very valuable employee because you have that depth of understanding from day one, really, in your sort of full-time software engineer role. So I, I came out into, again, I was lucky. I came out into a, a department called Intelligent Networks. It was, back in the day, it was the place to work. I mean, everybody, every developer wanted to work on Intelligent Networks. It was the flagship project at the time. It was when uh, voice over IP sort of started to come into fruition and, you know, you, you didn't have to send voice down a telephone switch anymore. It could be digitized and sent through effectively the internet. And now working in that area, everybody wanted to sort of a piece of that if you were a developer, because all developers want to work on the latest technologies and projects. And uh, I was lucky enough. I came in as a junior software engineer and got my start in that environment. And then I rolled in the clock on a little bit more. But when I got to sort of 26, 
I think I'm right in reflecting that I actually became the youngest software development manager in the division. I was 26. I had a team of about 20 people working for me, developing software for voice over ATM and voice over IP. And that really gave me my first taste of becoming a manager, a people manager within a technical department, building those, those systems. Two questions have struck me, but if I, if I just wind back ever so slight, was it always going to be when you completed that apprenticeship was absolutely software engineering was a dead cert? Was there a, you know, a sort of brief flirtation as an accountant or anything else on the, yeah. uh, no. and then it was always going to be software engineering, was it? No, no, I, I've had, I've been sort of laser focused, I think, since the day I touched that Amstrad, you know, it, it was all about the technology and I was going to be, come hello high water, I was going to be a software engineer. That was my mission. And, uh, you know, and that really, you know, five years later after finishing that apprenticeship program, it, it happened. And, you know, I, I sort of springboard from there really into that management role, which meant now I was not just coding individual sort of parts of a system. I was now responsible for the delivery of proper projects. And, you know, my level of, of, of responsibility went up. And imagine at that time, so this would have been what, sort of early, mid-90s, something along those sorts of lines? Uh, it would have, yeah, exactly. It would have been about 95. So so at that time, the working environment was very different to the working environment in which we find ourselves today. And the thing that strikes me as an organisation such as Plessy, am I right in thinking they were acquired ultimately by Siemens? Is that they, en- they ended up under the Siemens yeah. banner as we would recognise them today? But y- yeah, you'd, yeah. You'd have been surrounded, I suspect, because of that, we were at that sort of transitional point whereby there would have been a proportion of of those that would have joined an organisation such as that at, say, 16, 18, and with a view to retiring at 65. You know, you had a you had a great job with a great organisation and that was life. You know, you, you'd walk out with a great pension and all that would entail. So that management responsibility that you found yourself enjoying at 26, I would have imagined you'd have had a proportion of, respectfully, certainly in terms of tenure, those that were distinctly more tenured within the Plessy environment. Yeah, absolutely, been, yes, been, definitely. People who'd have had yeah. maybe 20, 30 years on you in terms of work experience. That must have been a real... Yeah eye-opener because I, if I recall back at that time, it was certainly much more, it, it must have been unusual to your point, the youngest in the business. It would have been unusual to have had management responsibility at such a young age, all credit you, but nonetheless unusual. That must have been a real baptism of fire in terms of managing those people. I Absolutely. Do you know, I have one thought and, and because I was sort of homegrown as well in Plessy through that apprenticeship programme, you know, you were you were part of the team. I was a developer in amongst those people. And then all of a sudden you you be promoted and you become this software development manager. And and absolutely, yeah, I was, you know, a 20 years difference between me and a lot of those other people in, in meetings. And um I can remember and I have very vivid, very, very vivid memory. I can remember walking down the corridor one day, my team were in a uh, a meeting room. I was t- two or three minutes late. I was held up somewhere and I was walking down the corridor to the meeting room. The door was open. I could hear them talking. I walked around the corner into the meeting room and it was silence. And I knew at that point, I'm no longer a developer. I'm now, I'm now different and, and I would be treated differently. And, uh, and you know, there's the, there are other things like, you know, those are the days where you had a management staff management canteen. You know, the, the the staff had a separate canteen, restaurant and management had a different one. And, and the management canteen was 
they used to serve wine at the table and you know there would be uh, a waiter that would come and bring your meal to the table in the staff one sorry it was buffet it was fixed chairs and tables it was you know in you go and out you go so there were definitely differences and the old joke at the time was you know when you've got a management role because you've got a a, a chair with arms and a desk by the window <laughs> and I, so i'd imagine it was it was a difficult must have been it must have been a challenge as well not only in terms of acknowledging that that transition from developer to now managing a team of developers, but also arguably within that management suite to which you refer, there must have been one or two are looking around thinking, yeah, he's barely out of school, you know, and uh, mm. you know, is he, mm. does he have that taste? So you, in terms of earning your stripes, I guess it would have put a, a degree of pressure on you to, to really step up very quickly. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And that really took me to sort of my, my next stage really in my career, because couple of years into that role, I found there were significant blocks to progression, probably because of the age difference. And it, it sounds silly saying it, but, you know, that there's definitely, it does hold you back, right? In that, that time in era, there were difficulties in that. So I, I, within a couple of years, I realized there were things that I wanted to do and achieve that I could not do and achieve there. So I, I actually, I actually left. It was a time when contracting was sort of starting to become a bit more widely known. And um, I decided that, you know, I've been now with Plessy all my apprenticeship, plus the couple of years or so afterwards being a manager and so on. And I needed to broaden my my, my wings. I needed to explore other, other things. And um, so I left as a contractor and um, I went to Oxford. I went to Blackwell's Books Publishing, something completely different than telecoms. And, you know, I was there for three months before I was phoned one day and uh, I was asked whether I would consider relocating to Orlando in Florida and uh, to, to pick up where I left off really from, from the Plessy days and uh, travel to Siemens in, in Orlando, northern Orlando, a place called Lake Mary, and um, become a, a contractor there for a take up a nine months assignment basically to to build the graphical services creation environment it was called part of intelligent networks for the US market and um, so I did I took them up on the offer and I went over there and that nine months turned into five years so wow I lived in Florida for five years and uh, boy did I meet some amazing people some really talented engineers at that point. So yeah, I, I learned a lot in that that phase of my life as well. And and what what did you learn? Do you think from that experience? So I got to work again. I mean, with my background having lived in the states as a child, but then returning back in my late twenties, I sort of fitted into the culture really really quickly. And you know, I, I understand how it works there, and I think that really helped me. And I settled into the team really quickly. I got to work with some really talented engineers and and really opened my mind to now as a senior developer, you know, how how do I turn into an architect? How do I boost my career into bigger programs of of work? And uh, in that, that time, I worked with one chap. I remember a guy called Joel. He came from uh, University of California, Berkeley, a very talented uh, engineer. Um, I learned a lot about software architecture from him. And I really, I think I credit him for quite a lot of my sort of early understanding really in, in software architectures. But he, 
he sort of inspired me really for those, you know, turning one one year into five to hang in there and launch intelligent networks into the US. They call it AIN, Advanced Intelligent Networks. And uh, yeah, it was great. I, I returned uh, in 2001 back to uh, back to my roots, really. Came back to the Dorset area. And, uh, and Marconi at the time had established themselves whilst I was overseas. Uh, and I came back to work with them. Fantastic. And, and I'm right thinking as well that you mentioned earlier that programming experience, I think, of plotting a map of the of the UK. You also earlier in your career had a spell at Ordnance Survey. Is that right? Was there was there any correlation between plotting maps at a young age and, and well, ultimately ending up at Ordnance Survey? Yeah. Uh, do you know, I think there, there probably is. I My my grandfather was a keen uh, walker. All through my childhood, I was always outside. Uh, if I wasn't playing sports, uh, I mean, golf golf for me is a particular passion, but, but walking in the countryside you know, my grandfather taught me to map read. And I think maybe, yeah, looking back on it, maybe that picture of drawing the map of, of, of GB was perhaps something deep inside there. Um, I don't know. But, but yeah, always had an interest in the outdoors. And, and when I had an opportunity uh, to start working with Ordnance Survey, I leapt at it because, you know, it's a, it's a great organization. I mean, 200 years old, the, the sort of straight from the military map reading you know, producing the cartography and the detail inside those maps. It, it was an interest of mine. And um, having an opportunity there was was fantastic. I, I joined there just around about the time of the Olympics in London in 2012, I think it was. Yeah, I had a, a couple of challenging projects were, were given to me from, from the off with some really tight deadlines and um, managed to achieve those. Uh, at which point there was uh, happened to be a job opening for a head of development role, so the the sort of the most senior software development role in the organisation, and uh, I put my hat into the ring, and um, fortunately I I got that job, uh, which which was a a great sort of start for me because it was a company that I felt very comfortable with from day one. The the ethos of getting people outside and enjoying our country and the the benefits in doing that and the creation of those maps, really interesting process. The detail is staggering and, uh, you know, it really is a national asset. Um, people don't understand really the capabilities in OS, but, but Ordnance Survey really is something our country should be very proud of. And I would have imagined at a wonderful time, you know, to your point around 200 years of history, but yet at the same time, an organisation that was wholly embracing Certainly from an external perspective, I wonder if how the journey might have been internally, but from an external point of view, wholly embracing of technology and acknowledging that that digitization of, of maps, if you like, you know, I remember, you know, it was always the case that you went off on a journey with a family and there would always be an ordnance survey map in the car of wherever it was, whether it was the British Isles or wherever you were heading, there was a map and you learned how to read a map. Clearly now it's very different, but you'd have been, I guess, part of that digitization journey that ordnance survey was enjoying. And that was one of the real challenges. So for me, for my role, when when I became head of development, it was all about, you know, how how do we embrace digital? You know, the the paper map still has a place. It will always have a place. Batteries run out on phones. You know, if you're stuck in the middle of the countryside, you need a paper map. So so paper maps will always have a place. But but you're right, absolutely, digital services, apps, 
the whole kind of shift to digital was was happening around about then and ordnance survey were asking themselves about well, what do we do you know how do we build these in- engaging digital experiences to get people to really use our data in the best way possible get to get people outside and there are some other really interesting sort of scenarios as well that we can perhaps talk about but but i think using that data as a sort of foundation location everything exists around location and uh and i think getting that data that authoritative data that os is so well respected for into the hands of the app builders that was the challenge i i was given so yeah i i created a function at ordnance survey called digital engineering i was responsible for in the end um just over 100 people that were building digital applications and services uh, across consumer business and government and um it was a really interesting time because we were able to use modern tools and technologies and uh, infrastructure cloud uh, microservice architecture the latest things that as a developer as a as a technologist you really wanted to use in your software development and we were able to actually put that in place and yeah we won awards so I mean, we were we were building some really award winning applications and and OS maps today is um is is one of those and has a great user base and allows people to explore the countryside and and not get lost you know so you have the benefit of all that wealth of data and accuracy in the palm of your hand and in a really easy to use and engaging user experience so yeah i'm really proud of my time at ordnance survey and exploring digital and the benefits of digital for for a 200 year old organization and making them relevant in the sort of the modern age was was a real honor really what do you think that os experience equipped you with so it gave me a deeper understanding of geospatial and and i still out of all the different industries that that i touch today geospatial for me is still perhaps the most interesting for me there there are so many benefits to it and as i say you know location sits really at the at the heart of everything so so smart cities for example as a is a topic that's been banded around in the media but what what is it i mean you know smart city is a is a is a, an environment which is for the better so it it addresses real challenges in in city environments so for example inefficient mobility you know people have dirty unclean environment or or, or uh, the air they breathe is not clean enough pollution uh, it takes forever from what to cross a city from one side to the other well how can we use technology to really solve some of those challenges and make people's environment that they live in and their their journey time perhaps a better experience for them so so geospatial data will help solve some of those challenges so um i'm really interested in that space and uh, and how those challenges really will will be solved into the future uh, i think we can talk about sort of digital twins and how do we create a, a real world object model how do we how do we take data that represents the real world and then how do we model and use that data through things like artificial intelligence and analytics to really run scenarios through it what if how do we cross a city from a to b in the most efficient way or in the cleanest way or in the least polluting way 
Uh, those are the kind of problems we can solve with geospatial data, especially when you look at uh, Internet of Things and the new IoT sensors that are being rolled out. But every day there seems to be more sensors plumbed in here and there. But IoT gives us another another option to really measure pollution or travel congestion or people crowds on football day and how do we manage them uh, using that data and run artificial intelligence across it to really improve those situations that's what we can do with the power of location as a as a if i could put you in this category i hate to categorize but nonetheless <laughs> as a technologist if you like if i could give it that term it strikes me that this is a this is a wonderful time and to be in that space that there are so many of our traditional assumptions perhaps so much of our understanding that, that if not totally being ripped up is undeniably being heavily disrupted which on the one hand i suppose is fraught because change is a challenge for some but actually also creates much by way of opportunity and my sense is we're just we're right at the beginning of the journey you know Absolutely, it feels like yeah. technology has been integral to our lives for so long but yet the possibilities the like of which you're describing we're barely scratching the surface it must be before we go into Spirosoft, it must be an incredibly exciting time to to be involved in the space. Correct. Yeah, you're right. I mean, well, when you think computers as we know them, and I started working with them in the 80s, and my goodness me, your phone in the palm of your hand now is, is ten, tenfold more powerful than those things, maybe more. But yeah, it is an exciting time. The opportunities that await us are amazing. You know, we we really are at the start of it. And, um, you know, it, it, the, the IoT thing, they call it Industry 4.0. You know, it is the next sort of industry, industrial revolution, if you want to call it that. Using sensors to really understand the environment and using those to perhaps improve our quality of life. Everything is about data. It all distills down to the data. And you collect that data from numbers of different sources and uh, you run intelligence across it and analytics across it to really understand the power of that data and answer problems. And when we've cracked that, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll be sort of slingshot will, will happen again and we'll be moved forward. And who knows, we'll have autonomous cars driving around and maybe teleportation. Who knows? So, so tell me, Andrew, what was the inspiration behind Spirosoft? Yeah, so it comes back to the Ordnance Survey days, really, you know, the digital engineering. I, I, it was a really successful time, and, and I realized that what we did there, the way that we create those applications and gave access to data and the sort of the experience for the development teams to actually build those things, I thought that that, for me, was an opportunity, really. I've, I've always had this drive about possibly building my own company, and um, years over the years, I've had a few sort of personal projects and I've tried a few things here and there to build some products and services. But I think I, I really became aware of, you know, how to do this and how valuable this could be and offer this to other people that were struggling with creating great products. And I sort of had this blueprint, really, of how to do it. And uh, when we won some of those awards that I mentioned earlier, it really convinced me that yeah i do i do know how to do this and and it's worth a go you know i'm not getting any younger i'm i was sort of mid 40s at this point and and i just had this and I, you know i was almost having sleepless nights you know it was on my mind all the time i needed to do this and 
take this this recipe of success and package it up and make it accessible by you know to other people and um, that was really Spirosoft in a nutshell it was taking proven strategies that work and being in the trenches in technology for so long and wearing that t-shirt of this works and this doesn't work taking that experience and, and packaging it up as a service to let other other people engage with that was a real kind of motivator for me so that's that's really why i i decided in the end i would leave ordnance survey and say goodbye to my friends there and um and, and set up Spirosoft with some trusted colleagues. And uh, yeah, and it was to just do this. It was to provide access to the best software engineering experiences that we'd all tried and tested over our careers. And, and was there a eureka moment? Was there that point at which you thought, that's it, that's the business, that's what I'm going to do? Yeah, I think the eureka moment really for me was a moment of sort of self-reassurance that I have the skills to do this. And there was always that, that sort of, you know, thought in my mind or dream, if you like, you know, would it be great to have a, a technology company of my own? You know, my, my career has always been about building these things for, for other people. And, you know, now would be a time to actually build a technology company rather than just sort of build software, me personally, I mean. And um, wouldn't it be great if I could offer that experience and understanding from my years working in technology and bringing the best people that I know along with me that can create this new technology company and then really offer that capability out to people to really solve their problems. You know, over the years, IT projects have had a pretty poor reputation. You know, they're always late, they're always over budget, you know, and, and the the sort of the traditional view is that, oh, yeah, it's another late running costly IT project. Well, actually not all IT projects are late and overrunning and, and cost more if they're done correctly from the start. And, you know, my, my experience in my career was very much about solving those problems and bringing projects to, together on time, on budget. And so I had this sort of recipe of how to do this. And uh, I wanted to, to offer that to two customers using some great people that I know that could help. And that was really the the moment of, right, let's set up Spirosoft and let's offer this amazing opportunity to people out there and really help solve their problems and work in a in a transparent, collaborative way, you know, and as technologists. So that was the start of it really. And what were some of the bigger challenges that were presented to you in those early days? So I think, I mean, in terms of challenges, I think um, it was when we started the company, it was always about, you know, how, we're technologists. I'm not a salesperson. You know, how do you do sales? How do you get the name out there, the brand out there and attract your clients? And uh, having worked in technology for all those years, I, I felt I, I knew what to do once I had the work. But but actually, how do you find that work? And, and I think one of the learnings I really had was, just be genuine and you know true to yourself and if you put yourself out there as a problem solver people will go with it people will will work with you and if you're genuine and you just get stuff done and you don't mess about doing it then then good things happen and and that's really part of the spirosoft story you know we 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 just we just do 
what we say we're going to do. And uh, we work together to achieve a common goal. It's, it's as simple as that. And we have the credibility, we have the skills and the background, having worked in, in technology all these years. So we know the right people. We understand how to build these products and services of the future. And uh, we're just motivated to do the best that we can and using the, the processes and experiences as we've tried and tested for all these years. Was there a pivotal moment to which you'd attribute the success that Spirosoft enjoys today? So we grew really quickly. Within the first year, Spirosoft went from, from just the founders to approximately 100 people. Year two, we went up to 290 people or something. And then, you know, here we are today in year five and we've got 650 people. So the growth has been extraordinary. And um, I think part of the challenge really is keeping things together, you know, making sure communication flows between all the people and we're all pulling in the right direction finding the people bringing those people into the team was a challenge one of the the sort of main moments that i reflect on there have been a few but but two of them that really stick out for me was uh, just before our pandemic arrived uh, last year in 2020 we we had the opportunity to become a public company yeah, our parent company in poland spirosoft sa became a public company listed on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. You know, that that was a real moment for all of us to to think, wow, we've created this from nothing and to get it to the point now to launch on a on a stock exchange is just a, a, an amazing achievement for everybody involved. You know, customers as well included to give giving us the chance to work with them and growing together across those projects and building our company. That was the first main thing and then just really a few months ago, we we were recognised by the Financial Times, top top 1,000 companies in, in Europe. And um, I think we were number five uh, on that list of 1,000. And we were actually number one fastest growing technology company in Europe, which is just, again, quite an incredible achievement. And uh, I'm ever so grateful for everybody that's been involved in that in that journey. Uh, but that is a real, another one of those sort of milestone moments, really, where you you look back on it and you think, yeah, that was that was a significant point in the in the history of the company. What do you think you've learned over the last five years? I've learned that it's all about people. With our our skills and knowledge builds technology solutions. But you can't do any of that without the people. So I'm a slightly different person, I think, in technology. A lot of technologists are you know, they, they like machines. They like working with machines. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a bit of a hybrid. I do like working with machines, but uh, but equally, I like to have a chat with people and uh, I like to have a beer in the pub with people. And um, I think it's about people, you know, to hire great people, to work with great people. You need to be flexible. And particularly the pandemic and, and so many companies have, you know, were hit hard by, by coronavirus and... Uh, you know, that resilience that's really needed to keep the wheels turning when all of a sudden a big change comes in like uh, like coronavirus. It's all about people and giving people the flexibility to be great. You know, don't, don't give a, a task to somebody that you know they don't like working on that type of task because you're going to get a rubbish outcome. You know, you, you work and play to people's strengths. 
you give work that they're interested in, you look after those people, you know, you motivate them with great projects to work on, you support them in their home life and allow them flexibility to work at the times that that the, perhaps they're the most productive. So I've, I've learned that it's all about people. And uh, I think if I was to sort of reflect on my early stage career now, uh, com- compared to now, I think um, I would emphasize the fact it's it's very much people. Technology comes high on the list, but without the people, you don't have anything. With the benefit of hindsight, looking back over the last five years, is there anything that you would have done differently? I think um, we, we've been very successful in a very short time and, um, and obviously hugely humbled by that and, and grateful for that. Would I have done anything differently? I think probably I would have done this earlier in my career. Having said that, you need, I think, to get to a point in your career where you've got experience and you need to have, you know, worn that T-shirt and, and, and felt the successes and, and learned from the failures. So there is a sort of sweet spot in time, I think, before you can give it a real good go. But would I have done anything differently in setting up Spirosoft? I don't think so. I think uh, the structure that we have, because we work in different locations around the world, I think that works really well. The, the blended approach from different cultures of people working together to deliver a common project works really well because you get different insights. I think uh, there's, there's advantages because in technology, it's difficult to find great people. Everyone is trying to hire the best people and there's this sort of war of talent that's going on. And um to attract those people to come and work in your company, you you need to show that flexibility and uh, support for those people, but giving them great projects to work on. I think Spirosoft does do that. Um, we are a company that that from our roots, we've all been there. We've all been those developers. We understand the challenges they face, and the and frankly, it's difficult, right? You know, you're creating something from from nothing, and you know, your solution might not exist, you know, and, and that's an intellectually taxing op, uh, task. So giving them the support they need to focus and and learn and, and, and let them fly, that's really important. And that's something we aim to do. What have you enjoyed about the experience over the last five years? So I, I, I think my enabling people to come and join us. I love the thought of leaving a a, a legacy as I, I mean, I'm 50 and looking at my career now, you know, I'm in the later years of my career. And I think uh, leaving a legacy of being able to employ people, come to join the company, the heart of which in in our country is in Dorset, uh, which is an area I've grown up. I think that really is rewarding for me personally. I I want to be an employer. I want to build a great technology company in this part of the world. And I think for me, that, that's a great legacy to leave. So what is it that drives you? So I'm, I'm a, a family person. I, you know, care deeply for my family and um, I do everything I do because of them. I, I actually, I lost my father... My father um, passed away when he was 54, so I lost him quite early. And uh, 
I, I think that really drives me to, to be the best that I can be. Um, he had a great, great work ethic and, and family obviously meant a lot to him as it, as it does to myself. I think that's a real driver for me to be, to be successful in everything I do really ultimately gives time and an opportunity to the family. And that, that's really where I draw strength from. I guess, therefore, not to make any assumption, but that time with family becomes ever critically important. That's absolutely right. You know, children growing up, being there at the sports day, you know, those sorts of times, key moments really in the development of children, you know, that's really important. And, you know, I mentioned about flexibility when we employ people, you know, for me, those things come first. You know, we, we will always you know, deliver our projects as best as we can to, to, the, to the customers we're working for. But, you know, we also want to be decent people. We want to have fun. We want to be there for, you know, those key moments in time for our families. And that's no different for me than, than, than everybody else that works for Spirosoft. So I've learned, you know, my, my father passing away so young, I've learned that those things really matter. And, uh, and, I, and I want to make sure that other people can, can kind of benefit from that. Absolutely. So, so who do you most admire? Oh, um, I, I don't really have sort of, you know, certain key people, I think. I, I admire lots of people for different reasons. I think that sort of family value, you know, it really strikes a chord with me. Sort of responsibility to the community, innovation you know bringing things forward we we you know it's all about the future and we we study the past we learn from the past but it is the past you know we live for the future and everything moves forward so i think um people visionaries you know the the tech people that you would always hear the names of you know the, the people behind microsoft and amazon they they they're the usuals that people come up with but i think for me it's about just great people that work hard to try and do a good job you know, in a, in a decent way. And those are the people that inspire me. And, um, you know, it's about being, being nice, but being productive and, and making things happen. So, yeah, I don't have one sort of person that I would, I would admire. There's probably many people that fit that bill. And away from work, what do you do to unwind and relax? You mentioned golf and sport generally. Is there a time that you do get to relax and therefore how might you spend that time? Yes, indeed. I, I, so golf is a, a passion for me. I've been playing since I was literally knee high. I was born into it, really. My, all my family play. But yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, it goes back to being outside, you know, the, the Ordnance Survey, getting outdoors thing. So I, I like being in green space. Uh, golf, for me, brings that sort of sporting element. It brings um, challenge. It's a quite a difficult game to play. There are, there are lots of things you can't control bad bounces, the wind that might, you know, get up all of a sudden, you know, things that are out of your control. And and that challenge really of completing the course in the best way that you can. But yeah, it's me, it's it's sort of headspace. It's it's four hours on a golf course where I'm not really thinking about technology or challenges in a com- running a company and it gives me a bit of downtime mentally and, and a bit of exercise. But yeah, it's a sport I love. I watch it on TV. I go and you know, when I go and visit tournaments whenever I can. I've, I've played competitively. Yeah, I'm a decent player, I think. And uh, it's something that, that I will play probably uh, until the last breath. You're not, you're not still out on the courts? There isn't a, uh, there isn't a hoop above the garage? And, uh, the, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Basketball no, days no. Are, are long gone? 
Yeah, I think the knees are a bit shot. So uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I still will watch it. If I see it on TV, um, I'll definitely watch it. But but yeah, I'm afraid those days are long gone now. Stick with the golf. So so what advice would you give 21-year-old Andrew Radcliffe? Uh, I think work a bit slower. I have quite a high work rate. People that will, that know me and, and, and work with me will know that there's always lots going on. And uh, I think one thing I'm very conscious of is because because I work at quite a high speed, I think not everybody else is the same. So I think I would say to perhaps younger myself, perhaps slow down a little bit, be a bit more of a sort of complete a finisher. I'm, I'm very much a starter and creator. So I think learn from the fact that, you know, you need to get maybe some stuff done before you start the next few things. So I think that's the, the sort of the thought I would have on that one. And, and what about advice to any aspiring entrepreneur out there with the dream? What might you impart to such an individual? Just do it. You know, there's one life here. If you have it in you and you want to try it, just just do it. I think you just have to try it. And, you know, if you make a bad decision, as I said earlier, you can make another decision to change it. So really, what have you got to lose? There are some basic safety nets and things you should have in place. You know, probably you probably need a little bit of savings to make sure you can pay your mortgage next month. But, you know, aside from that, if you've got a dream and a vision and you are focused on what that is, just do it because it will happen. You know, if you've set yourself that goal and you're aiming at that goal, other things will change along the way and um, you will achieve what you set out to achieve. I, I strongly believe that from personal experience. If you if you can really paint the picture so it's super clear and you can literally touch it and you, you, you understand it, it will happen. And we touched on this earlier but I'm interested to explore perhaps in a, a little more depth. In terms of innovations and advances in technology, of which there are so many, are there any in particular that you're that you're very much excited by? We talked about geolocation and, and those sorts of areas earlier, but what are you excited about in, in technology right now? I think the potential of artificial intelligence really, really is interesting. There are some moral implications with AI, um, particularly around ethics and data ethics. But the, the potential of artificial intelligence and understanding analytics and really deriving perhaps automation from automated decision making from some of that data, I think the potential of that is huge. You know, if we could improve people's quality of life in the smart cities example I mentioned earlier, through automated processes, through using sensors and using the data those sensors collect to make decisions about maybe, I don't know, let's say, you know, shutting a a road dynamically to improve the flow of traffic through a a city at at, at the right time, to make the the football crowd that arrives outside the stadium on on Saturdays for football, to improve the flow and, and congestion of those people moving into that city and out of that city, you know, before and after the game, you know, to improve people's lives in an automated way, using machines, using the intelligence of gathering data from sensors. It's absolutely possible. And, and it makes people's quality of life better. You know, they, they spend less time fighting through the crowd to get to the stadium for the football they don't breathe in as much pollution, carbon monoxide and the other horrible gases from cars, you know, in that process. 
They save money because it's a quicker journey. You know, there are loads of advantages in doing that. And it's all possible. So, um, yeah, I'm excited around sort of AI and its uses of AI. I'm wary about the sort of threats of, you know, data and, and the sort of cybersecurity implications. Um, it's quite big in the media, of course, at the moment, with everybody having done a lot of remote working. But I think you can use geospatial data to really help fight against some of the cyber threats. You know, if you if you have systems that are looking at inbound requests, well, you know, let's look at the, the location of that request. Well, if it comes from a completely different country, then straight away it's perhaps questionable. So we can use intelligence with geospatial data to perhaps improve security and, and threat management. So that there are loads of applications of technology where I can see you know, big benefits um, as as we move forward. And I mean, I'm just enjoying it. You know, Spirosoft is a company that are able to build these things and and, and it's great fun doing so and seeing it work, you know. So, so what does the future look like for Andrew Radcliffe? So um, I, haven't, I haven't got any plans to go anywhere anytime soon. I'm having fun still. So um, we're still growing the company. The company will... Um, We'll touch other locations around the world. We're still on this growth trajectory. You know, it's all about building the best products and services that we can. And for for me personally, you know, I just want to give my best really sort of shot to, to enable that to happen, you know, support the company, give other people opportunities as they join us in amongst the teams. Um, but for me, yeah, I'm just happy to enjoy the ride at the moment. So where can listeners or where should listeners go to find out more about Spirosoft, Andrew? Are you uh, URL, social media, all those sorts of good places? Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, usual places. So uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. But yeah, of course, any any information about Spirosoft as, a, as an organization, yeah, please go to the, the corporate website. So spiro-soft.com. But yeah, we're of course, we're on all the social channels as well. Fantastic. Well, look, it's been, it's been a pleasure to uh, to speak with you this morning. Thank you for your time uh, and many, many congratulations on the success that Spirosoft uh, has enjoyed. The result, I've no doubt, of an awful lot of blood, sweat and tears from uh, a great number of very talented people. But nonetheless, many congratulations and, and long may it continue and uh, look forward to uh, watching from afar as that, that uh, success continues apace. You're a great example for uh, to many and a great source of inspiration to many. So uh, really appreciate your time and all the very best for the future. That's fantastic. Thanks very much, Lee. Really, really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, thanks very much for your time. That's great. Great stuff. Thanks, Andrew. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to today's Astrology podcast. I really appreciate your uh, audience and ears. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, then uh, why not hop onto iTunes and give us a review? I'd really appreciate anything that you might have to say. Any feedback always gratefully received and uh, look forward to hosting you next time. See you soon. Just a reminder, today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners. Visit www.progressotalent.com today for more information.